0: Wait. All right, so welcome back to Thursdays at noon. And today we're actually going to be in chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, we're going to do 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. And then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So here's what we got. Uh, Verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, to have your word, uh, to be able to open it and to hear you speak to us. Um, God, this is you speaking to us. Uh, we have your word. And we thank you for that, the chance to hear it and to have it in our hands. And um, God, help us to uh, listen and that you open our hearts to understand what you want us to know. Uh, I pray that you would help us to put off um, our sinful ways and that we would... Uh, continue to have a desire for you. We ask that you would continue to burn that within us, to want you and to treasure you. And we ask that you reveal to us your goodness uh, that we may uh, taste and drink of you more and more. We thank you for your son who has given us life instead of death. It's In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright so in, uh, in 2016 uh, Ligonier Ministries did a poll of 3,000 Americans in the United States about their beliefs in God, the Bible, heaven and hell, salvation, and all the kind of things in that realm. And of all the results can be found on their website, uh, but one of the questions they asked, I wanna cover, and when they answer the question, they have four options, or five, I'm sorry, and it's either strongly agree, agree, not sure, disagree, or strongly agree. So basically, you agree, you're neutral, or you, you don't agree. And here's one of the questions that they asked. Um, it says this, question, by the good deeds that I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven and 52% of people either put agree or strongly agree and 36 said that they disagree with it so overall according to this poll most of Americans at least half right according to this uh, believe that our behavior our actions our good deeds bad deeds um, contribute to where we'll go and in particular uh, to heaven um, and many people know the commands of Jesus that we say we should follow to go to heaven we know Jesus said love your neighbor um, give to the poor, turn the other cheek, uh, all these good things. And according to these results, most Americans believe that if we obey these commands, uh, we will go to heaven. But the problem is we miss the most important part. So in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus calls his disciples to he says, come follow me, and Peter responds and follows, and James responds and follows. So Jesus calls them to obey, and they do. Then right after that is Matthew chapter 5, where all those teachings that come from, uh, where, he, where he says to love your neighbor, uh, to to do good to those who hurt you, all these things, and what Jesus in Matthew five is very very interesting. Here's what he says before he preaches anything. Uh, Matthew writes this, and Jesus sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying. So the context of all these commands Jesus specifically given to his disciples, he's saying, okay, you've listened to me, come to me, and now you're gonna and now you're gonna obey. So what Jesus firstly does is he doesn't try to change our behavior. He calls you to himself, and then he calls you to do things. So Jesus' commands are not just to change the way we live, which that is true and helpful, but the main function of these is that we're called to obey and then change, or we're changed to obey is kind of the way you look at it. So the commands of Christ are really only going to be adored and obeyed by his followers. His sheep hear his voice and they listen to him. We all know that from John 10. And so that's the point of these commands that I think all, most Americans apparently are missing. We don't understand the point of the commands and why he gives them. Uh, one more thing about this. In Matthew 23, it's the chapter where Jesus spends the whole chapter uh, torturing the Pharisees. He, he gives them a very good verbal lashing. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, so teachers of the law. Woe to you, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate... But the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside, and then the outside will be clean also. So what Jesus is saying is outward obedience is good. Like You should obey. You should do these things. You should love your neighbor. You should pray. You should do all these great things. But if there's no love for God in the inside, there's no heart desire, it's just moral reform. There's nothing changed. You're not really a new person. You're not a new creation. You're just changing. You're just like washing the outside of a cup. There's nothing new on the inside. So the Pharisees, Pharisees had the idea of, you know, do good, don't be bad, and God will kind of he'll welcome you to heaven because you your obedience. And that's, that's not the good news that Jesus brings. Uh, and in fact, when he said the word, woe to you, it was actually like, means danger's coming, wrath is coming. So he warned against these things. So what these poll results show is that we miss the point of these commands. Uh, they're not to make you a better person, which I think that does happen, but the point is to make you to be like Christ if you follow Christ. So we obey his commands out of being a disciple, we don't be a disciple by obeying them. There's a big difference between those, and it looks like most Americans miss it. So the bottom line is this, Jesus did not come to recommend ways to live, but he came to give life. That's kind of the idea. He didn't say, hey, don't be, don't be bad, don't steal. Uh, his main point is, I need to rescue you from doing those things. So when we're saved by Christ, our life will change. And that's the, that's the order it should be. And so in First Peter chapter 2, uh, he's going to unpack all this for us. He's going to tell us uh, that we should put things off, which is a command. And he's going to tell us to desire new things, which is an action following that command. And then at the end of it, it's only because of the gospel. So the reason that we can change our behavior and want the things of God is because of the gospel and how we've responded to it. So the first thing Peter's going to address is what we are not to look like, is how we should not be, um, and what we should not be doing. So. Uh, so to put off, so we look in first, uh, the first verse, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocr- hypocrisy, sorry, and envy and all slander. So this is a command. So if you know the Bible, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul calls Christians ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador's son who's a, like a representative. Uh, they go to a foreign country and they speak for the president. They represent the country. Everything they say is what the president will have them say. They have the authority to do what the president says. Um, they speak on his behalf. They represent the origin. Um, they speak on their country. It's very important how they act and what they say. They work in a foreign country while 100% retaining their citizenship of their home country. So they're strangers. They don't, they don't belong there. They are foreigners in this country. Um, they stay in this period of time for a while and they identify with where they're from and as a rep. Uh, they're charged with a very great, weighty task not to blow it, basically. Hey, you can't speak poorly. You've got to obey. You have to do well. Um, you're re- representing a very important people. And as Christians, we're, we're called to be just like we're called ambassadors uh, of God. We reside in this foreign land while 100% retaining our identity of, our, of our, our heavenly home. And we have a very weighty task here on earth to represent who we're from and to distinguish that we, are, that we don't belong here. Because when ambassadors go to different countries, uh, they stick out. How they dress, how their hair slick back, their customs, their handshakes, everything looks different because they have the nature of their new country. They don't they don't blend in. So Peter has just told us in chapter one, he's referred to the new birth twice. In verse 3 and in verse 23. And now chapter 2, if you look, the first thing he says is the word so. Um, in some translations it says the word therefore. So our change of behavior is all because of who have been changed by Christ. It's, it's, it's pointing back to what happened. So in verse 1. Uh, you're if you're a child of God, if you have been born again, uh, you are now a representative on foreign soil, and you're charged to reflect your King of your country. That's that's the idea. So what Paul says here is to, or Peter says, excuse me, is to put away or put off. Um, and the same word, put off, the phrase for that, is the same phrase used for someone taking off their robe and laying it on the floor and walking away. So it's when someone takes off a layer of clothing and drops it on the floor. So God's word calls us to shed off, to strip off the sins that hang closely to us, um, and to walk away from them, to leave them, uh, to leave them behind. And not to just do, not, not just that we do sinful things, but that we have a sinful desire, we have a sinful nature, and we're called to throw it away, to cast it off. And that's why the new birth is so important. Without having a change in heart to Christ, moral reform just won't do it. We'll keep going back to our ways because our heart's not changed. So look what Peter says to put off. If you look at these, um, he mentions a couple specifically. And he says malice. Uh, malice is kind of like our evil will or the evil intention to do something wrong. Um, from Genesis chapter 6 all the way to the New Testament, um, God continually points to the problem being our heart. Uh, it's not just the outward things we do. Uh, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's kind of the way to say it. Um, all of our sin starts with us. Um, we we are our own wellspring of our own problems. It's our fault. It's because of us. That's what Peter says to do. So, uh, we're called to be um, to put away our evil intentions. The next thing he says is deceit. Says, so all malice and all deceit. Deceit is like fraud, uh, pulling the fast ones, trying to trick someone with the truth, right? Bait and switch. Um, it's used in Homer's Odyssey to actually the same language is used to how you bait a hook for a fish, how you set the bait on the hook, and you oh it looks real good, then you snag them, right? It's the same language there. So sin is deceitful, it looks beautiful, it's attractive, but then when we bite, it captures us and stings us. And that's, the, that's what deceit is. Uh, hypocrisy, uh, this is kind of like deceit, but it's like interactions. So you say one thing, but you actually act out the other, right, that's hypocrisy. Uh, the word actually means someone who wears a mask in a play. So you're one person playing another, that's hypocrisy. We're called to put those things off. Uh, envy is being irritated of someone else's well-being. So when your friends are doing great, you get angry, that's envy, and we do that. We get frustrated, our friends succeeding, uh, or we hope that something bad will happen to them so we can not envy them. That's what envy is, it's a very, it's a very messy sin. We're called, not, we're called to put those things off, and imagine these Christians who are suffering, they must be extremely envious of non-believers, because there's no suffering going on with them. They're not being whipped and beaten and chased out of their homes. So they're probably strongly envying what God is doing and not doing with those who are wicked. And then slander, he says, uh, to put away slander, well, slander is to speak ill of someone's reputation. Uh, to, we have people in the news, they'll slander someone's name in the news, they'll make fun of the president, they'll make fun of an athlete. Uh, Slanders the public, ruin of someone's name with false information. So as interesting, as all these sins are so common to man, uh, it's actually our nature to want to do these things, but since we're foreigners in a foreign land, we are called to put off these things that are custom. So these are all things that the world likes to do, that is accustomed to do, and since we are represented, we're called to put those things off, so we, we should stand out. So Christians should, they should be different. They should stand out. There shouldn't be all these evil motives and trickery. There shouldn't be envious desires and slandering our friends or those who don't like us. We should be different. We're from a different country. We should represent our king from that country because we've been born again. That's only. That's the only way we can do it, and that's what Peter's trying to really hit on. So... What's weird, though, is um, it would seem almost contradictory to say that we need to do what our nature is. So we're, we're Christians. We have a new nature. Why is Peter saying, hey, don't do that? You know, so the, the question is, if I'm a Christian, my nature is to not want to slander. Why am I being told not to slander? Shouldn't I already know. The kind of question I have for the text is, why would Peter say this? I think it's because the commands in the scriptures are not just for older Christians or for new Christians. And all new Christians are actually old Christians. I'll get what I mean in a second. So if you've uh, if you've seen any uh, any kind of movie uh, in the world or any kind of TV show before you watch it, there's a, there's a rating. It's either G, uh, PG, PG thirteen, or R. I think there might be some farther, but I really don't know. Uh, but there's and they all describe what you're about to watch. If you're like me, you like, you like to look before you watch a movie to make sure you're not going to see some that's garbage. Um, and it's something that's really sad to note for me, at least in my way of thinking, is. Most movies are rated R, it's not typically because of the violence, although that's one of them. It's strongly because of the nudity or sex scenes or any kind of sexual exposure in the movie. Um, and what it'll say below the rated R, it'll say this. It's intended for mature audiences only or meant for adults or however you want to word. That's usually what it says. And I think I, kind of what, what I want to say is uh, the age of someone to be an adult doesn't cover the fact that seeing these things is acting like a child. So we say, well, if, if, you, if you're of 18, you're an adult now. And what I think is interesting is embracing this content and wanting to see it doesn't show that you're adult, it shows that we're, we're very childish, even though we're old. We're, we're childish, so age doesn't make you old, it's your maturity that you have inside, right? It's not, not your age, it's something different. So the people of God are always called, if you notice in the Bible, children of God. They're never called adults of God, they're always called children. If you're 90 or if you're five, you're called a child of God, we're in God's family. He's our Father. We're His children. So Christian, remember that you're called to be a child of God, but not to act like a child of God. Your age doesn't dictate that. It's who you are that dictates that, right? So Jesus said, uh, we all know this text, to become like a child when you come to Him. So you come to Him like a child does. And children are very simply obey. They do what you say. They don't, I don't want to do that. They, they obey. They come very quietly and humbly. So we're called to come to Him like a child, not to act childish. And in verse 2, look at Peter says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So he's just called to put off certain things and to be clothed with other things to to have a different change here. Uh, We need to be fed like infants are fed. And there's a kind of a... I want to explain some as quickly as I can without being uh, confusing. Uh, The Greek word here for spiritual milk in in, in some translations it says the milk of the word of God. It's not what it says right here. So there's a big... Translation difference, um, and why that is because the spiritual milk is word means reasonable speech in Greek. Uh, it's the reasonable words that used to communicate. So it's how you communicate with somebody. It's the way that you understand and communicate with people. So what is the pure reasonable way that God communicates to us? Well, we would argue, well, the Word of God. And I think that we argued from the verses above where it says we've been born again by the Word of God. So I think you can make an argument very easily. But I just want to explain before I start assuming things. But how humbling is it to know? that Christians are called infants. You're not an adult. Christian. Yeah, your age may be that you're adult. You may have been a Christian for 30 years, 20 years, 50 years. Uh, but Peter is calling us newborns. He's calling us, you're still children. You're not, you're not mature. Yeah, you're, you're older, but you're still children. Um, how humbling is that to know that God's calling us kids still? Kind of makes you uncomfortable a little bit. So no matter where you are in the Christian life, from a newborn Christian of a couple days, or of a great grandfather in the faith, even our best walking in Christ and our obedience to him, is like a child taking their first steps. We're not as mature as we think we are. We all need to grow, we all need to learn, we all need the milk of the word. Just like babies are so dependent upon milk to grow and to be sustained, uh, we need to be so dependent upon God's word to grow and be sustained. We're not different. Uh, We may have matured in age, but not in need. So in a time of these suffering Christians, remember, they're being called to be dependent upon God, to cry out to God like kids cry for their dad, to throw themselves on God's mercy and ask for his care. And this should always bring us back to know that in suffering we're called to hope in God. So as infants cry out for milk, Christian, do you cry out for God and for his word? Uh, Peter actually says to long for it, so it's just like, a long, like, I need this word, I need this milk. And we're called to do that, we're called to respond and to desire. I'm glad Peter makes it a command because there's days where I don't desire God's word. I, I go through funks in my life where I, I don't want as bad as I should. But Peter's reminding us you need to long for it. You need to understand that you need this. Uh, Jesus actually said, Men don't live by bread alone, so not by earthly things, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is God's word. We don't, we don't ever graduate from God's word. There's no gospel graduates. We always need God's word. We always need it in the same way that your pastor needs it same way. I need it the same way. The great saints of old need it. We all need the Word of God. It's as necessary as milk is to an infant. So, Christian, do you have this desire? Look at verse 2. Said It's good news as well. So verse 2 says you need to crave it like, or long for it like newborns do. And here's what happens, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So it's good to know that we're always going to be growing. So you were, you get your growth from salvation to grow more into your salvation. So the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that grows you. So it's great to know that we are never um, going to be just stopped in our growth. We're always going to be drinking milk, to always be growing, to always be maturing, to always be learning more about Christ and who He is. So we're not called to be childless or immature, uh, but to be childlike in our need. I think that's clear. Um, and we'll begin to love and enjoy and understand what God's done for us. And the more we understand that, the more we'll want to understand it. And the more we we'll want to be fed, the more we'll want this milk and to grow. So if all Christian growth, again, is dependent upon God's Word, we will never be too mature for it. And if you don't have that desire, I think Peter would say, take a drink. Drink it. Read it. If you don't desire the Word of God, open it up and read. So that gives us that desire again, refreshed again, just like these infants need milk. So it takes us now kind of to the bottom of the text. This is all the main reason of what Peter's saying. So he's saying we need to put these things off, you need to long for new things, so don't do what you used to do. Have new desires. Long for milk. The only way to do these things is if we know God. That's what Peter's trying to say. That's, that was the point of Jesus' commandments. If you know me, you will keep my commandments. This is the point of, of all this text. And here's what, the, here's what God's Word says to us. So by nature, every human, myself included, is born in a state of sin. Uh, we are by nature... Uh, rejecting God, and then we also choose to do so out of our desire. Uh, Romans 3 reminds us that no one is good, no not one. As painful as it is, that's what God's word says. It says that we don't seek God. We've actually all gone started to seek other things. Yet in God's kindness towards us, he's given us two things to know that he is existing. He's given us creation, so we look outside, we see all these things. We know that every book has an author, every painting has a painter, and the creation has a creator. And he gives us our conscience to know that there's a right and a wrong. So just by living, we know that there's a God who's big, and who's a creator, and that he is morally upright, and that there's something wrong with the world. We all know these things. But the bad news is, is that we reject that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the natural person, so the person who's born, not a Christian, right, does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So by nature, we have two problems. Uh, we can't understand them, nor do we want to. So we're in this double pit. We can't see God's light, but we don't want to see in the first place. So we're we're not being held back against our will. We 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 just don't want to see his who he is. So the things of God are silly to know the non-Christian. They seem foolish and almost idiotic. Uh, they don't make any sense, and we don't want to understand them. So we don't believe that God is good. And what I mean by good, which Peter's getting ready to unpack here in a second, is that everything that God is is good. So God is or I'm sorry, everything that's good finds its very goodness in the character of God. So God himself is the standard of what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. He doesn't just set the standard or point to, which he does say, these things are all good. But he does that because he is himself the standard of what is good. Everything he creates is good because goodness is his nature. So therefore, all that God creates, does, and will do is good because God is the standard of it. He cannot act apart from his nature to be good. A lot of confusing words in there, but it's all good. <laughs> that was the point. Uh, so, on the other hand, we see that God is good, and we've rejected that, and we don't do the things that are good. We, we reject in all ways. And that, that's the problem with the world, is we reject. And Jesus says in Mark 10, that only God is good. So He is the standard in all He does. So if, God, if that is true, and we reject that, how do we obey His commandments? How does a Christian, or how does a non-believer understand, I shouldn't be full of malice, or I should love my neighbor, but I don't see that God is good. So this is what Peter's saying. Look at verse 3. After all these commands to put off things and to long for more things, he says the big word if, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the question is, uh, Psalm 34.8, is, is this is a, a paraphrase of Psalm 34, eight. but the question is, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And if you're in Christ, the goodness of God has been made known to you by the Son of God dying for rebels. That's how you know that He is good. That's, that's the prime peak of God's goodness is dying for you. So the question is, how can me seeing that God is good make me want to put off my sin and desire Him? Because those are two truths that we see in the text, but how does me knowing that God is good make me want not to do things and want to do more things? And the problem is, is that we find, the answer, or we find the answer in the gospel. So doctrinally, all Christians, myself included, we believe that God is better than sin. We believe that. We'll, I will teach that. I'll make it very clear. If I haven't made that clear, I'll make it clear again. We all believe that. We believe that sin isn't as good as God. It's actually horrible compared to what God is. Our heads believe it, and our hearts believe it. But our actions just sometimes fail to illustrate that. We, sin just looks good. It looks attractive. Oh, there's this... Uh, Prank I saw someone do where they got for Halloween since fall's coming up, they got caramel caramel apples on a stick, instead of apples they got onions, they covered them in caramel and set them on a stick, and of course people would grab the apple and say that looks really good, it looks just like an apple, it smells good, right? Has the caramel smell, looks smooth and attractive, and they take a bite and of course they spit and scream and yell in anger about the distaste of it. That's kind of how sin is. It just looks good, it looks beautiful, it's smooth, it looks like caramel apples. Take a bite, it's just, it's just an onion. It's just, why did I do that? And that's, what, that's what the problem is. We believe doctrinally that God is good, but our actions sometimes fail to show that we believe that. So how do we get back to that re- recognition? Well, look to the cross. So Jesus walked on earth, and he fully understood and tasted that God was good, that God was surpassing in goodness and value. He tasted that the Lord was good. But on the cross, here's what the book of Hebrews tells us. It tells us this so that by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should, be, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus, instead of knowing what was good, which he did know was God, and tasted of that and embraced it, he tasted of death in our place. So Jesus tasted of death for those who bring to glory, he tasted death for all those He would bring, he tasted death for me. And that's how we know that God is good, because Jesus tasted death for us. So in the cross, we see the ability to taste that God is good because of what Jesus has done. So Jesus is God. He knows the goodness of God. Yet in our place, He tasted death. Not, not just physical death, but He tasted the wrath of God. He drank the cup that we should drink in our place and experienced the death that we should experience. So in doing so, He did that, that we might taste the goodness of God. Jesus drank from the cup of cursing so we could drink from the cup of blessing. And that's the good news of the gospel is we don't understand that God is good. We forget that God is good. We don't want to put off our sins. We wrestle with having desires. And the only do this, Peter says, is if you've tasted the Lord is good. And we see His goodness supremely in the gospel what Christ has done for us. And He rose on the third day to seal for us new hearts that have a new taste and desire for God. He gave us the ability to put off our flesh by His Spirit. He gave us the ability to love Him and to treasure Him. And what's good is is in heaven. We will spend in eternity forever tasting and seeing that God is good. We'll be infatuated with that news to see and to forever learn and understand. We'll never grow out of it. We'll never be tired of it. We'll continue to grow as children to know that God is good for all of eternity. So the commands of Jesus are not meant to lead us from lasting joy but to lasting joy. Not to show that we can keep them, but that we can't keep them because there's no desire. But in the cross, we get a desire, because Jesus tasted death for us. So what must happen? How can I see God's valuable? We're called to repent of our sin, to turn from our sin, to turn from our malice and our anger and our rejection of God and our sin from God, and to trust in Christ as He is more valuable. To trust in His worth that He has in the gospel for us, and to know that He will grant that us grant it to us if we turn in, in faith in Him. So Jesus did not come to make us good, but to make you taste that God is good. The only hope of our obedience to the Christian life is if we've seen and taste that the Lord is good. That's the only that is the only hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your Word, uh, which truly is good. Uh, God, we thank you for allowing us to taste and see uh, how good you are, that you are supreme. Um, help us to uh, put off those things which we which we think are good, the sins that cling so closely to us. God, help us to remember that they are uh, they're false joys, that they really aren't good. And help us to long for your word, which brings fullness of joy. And help us to long for your son, who is um, the image of you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for being children, uh, for knowing that you will always grow us, that you will love us, and that you will keep us as children. God, we thank you for the cross, which um, has given us a right to be in your family and to know your son. In his name we pray. Amen.